Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Hi, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, Madhuri Christian. I'm joined today by Peter Serda, IATA's Regional Vice President for the Americas. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Madhuri. Many thanks for having us today. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, Peter, we got a lot to get to today. And what I really want to focus in on is um, Mexico and Central and South America. And uh, what's, you know, just generally, we had a story in this week's issue of Airline Weekly that it's just not a great time to be an airline in South America and Latin America in general. If we if we include Mexico as, you know, into this mm-hmm. and Central America. Um there's a patchwork quilt of government shutdowns and restrictions and travel restrictions, and there just seems to be no clarity in the region for airlines. Can you sort of give us the 30,000-foot view of what is happening in uh, Latin America with airlines? Who's shut down? Who's reopening? And et cetera. Yeah, so if you, if you look at the perfect storm, uh, certainly Latin America, I think it's probably front and center. Um, you know, Before we even had COVID hit us back in March, uh, and now in, in Latin America, we're going into our more than our fifth months in where the majority of the countries are have country restrictions or quarantine or just border closures. So we're going much, much further than any other region, uh, considering that we started relatively close to when things were beginning really to shut down in Europe and Asia and in other parts. So we started with preventive measures early on, hoping that we would be able to manage the situation and then restart as quickly as possible. Obviously, that has not happened. Um, you, know, you look at uh, the top 10 uh, countries in terms of the spread of COVID, five of them are in Latin America. So it's quite concerning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been somewhat of a double-edged sword for our governments in the region. Um, they're trying to manage and balance social well-being with the restart of their, their economic uh, economies or the financial economy. So it's been a challenge. But for the industry, it has been a challenge even before that. When we look at last year, the year ended not very well for Latin American carriers. It was $300 million in the red, considering that 2019 Hmm. was a good year for most of the airlines around the world. Latin America was just the opposite. And this is historical. Um, you, You look at the situation we were living in Latin America last year, we had social unrest. In countries like Peru and Chile that tend to be very stable, uh, very open to air transport, they were having challenges. We had economic uh, challenges in Argentina uh, with their, uh, their uh, financial troubles and trying to renegotiate their debts with um, uh, other governments. And then we had the political votes, uh, Venezuela, mm-hmm. Mexico, which was a, a huge challenge uh, as well. So this is not something that just... Uh, started because of COVID, COVID has just made it even more difficult. Uh, you know, we, we preach around the world that airlines have, you know, between three and five months um, in terms of cash liquidity. Now, we're now beyond that. And in most of our cases in, in Latin America, most of our airlines didn't have that much money in terms of liquidity to be able to uh, sustain such a long, prolonged uh, country shutdown. Uh, and in addition, 
where we've seen in the US, Europe, and other parts of the world where um, governments have pro provided financial um, help, uh, close to $130 billion around the world, less than 1% of that money has been given by the governments in Latin America. So that really puts a difficult situation on the industry. Um, you know, our, our cry uh, uh, or our advocacy at the beginning was really governments help us with the financial help. Right now, what we're asking governments, we need to open, open the, the borders. If not, you know, airlines just won't be able to, to, to restart. And that's where we find ourselves with a combination of airlines that are having to follow Chapter 11. We have a whole slew of airlines that have just stopped operation for air, uh, forever. And then we have others that are, you know, in, on life support, not knowing, you know, when they'll be able to get back into the air. Well, let's, you know, I want to go back to something you said about the, the government bailouts. I believe, Ayata, you said it was less than 1%, about 0.8% of the total $130 billion that uh, the governments around the world have, have um, sort of used to support airlines around the world. And that's, uh, I think you said, Ayata said it was about $300 million for all the airlines in the region, Correct. correct? So my question to you is, you know, I, I've heard you speak before um, at various IATA functions and uh, um, meetings that uh, there is a persistent, before COVID, there was a persistent belief that airlines were sort of a cash cow, the reserve of the, the very wealthy, and therefore government policy was not very favorable to facilitating air transport and often taxed mm -hmm. and regulated airlines to a degree that we didn't see in other regions of the world. Do you think that sort of, uh, that thinking has carried through in the COVID era and has prevented governments from um, from providing more support for airlines? Yeah, and we've, we've seen in some in some countries like Chile that have you know been very forceful, at, particularly at the beginning, saying they weren't going to give uh, financial uh, support to uh, airlines, the same in Mexico. Um, and this is a region that is heavily dependent on air travel. Uh, we don't have the infrastructure or the means like in Europe or in the US where you have good rail systems, good roads. In our region, it's either the bus, which usually are 18 to 36 hour journeys uh, in not the most favorable conditions, or you have air transport, which is reliable, which hmm. is safe, which is highly regulated. Uh, but instead of our government seeing us uh, as a, uh, a strategic partner to further develop both socially and both economically in our country, they see us as an industry which is very easily taxed. And this is why in our mm -hmm. region, uh, it's probably one of the highest around the world in terms of how we're taxed. We're taxed from passengers to uh, facility taxations, fuel taxations. You know, in Brazil, we were being taxed uh, for fuel for a product for that it's actually produced in the same country and they're, they're taxing us as if it was an imported um, commodity. That's the type of thing that we continue to face uh, and we're seeing it uh, all across the region. And that's why it's been so difficult. Now with COVID, it's been, you know, understandably the government has to focus on the well-being. How do we address to, you know, reduce risk, make sure citizens are, are safe and, and for the system not to, to just break down. But our situation really has shifted over the last two months. Uh, prior to that, you know, as, a, as, an organ, as a sector, we were trying to create protocols, uh, making sure that we had the measures in place that 
air transport wouldn't be a vector for the virus. That has now come to realization. ICAO, mm -hmm. governments, industry have all worked very well to create a series of protocols that are being implemented area, everywhere, which will permit us to restart safely and responsibly. And that has been our outcry to governments where we haven't received the same reaction. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, so let's... So there's there's not as much political will for for uh, bailouts or financial support, but there's also some of the strictest, if I'm not mistaken, um, air transport restrictions in the world or in, in Latin America. I mean, Argentina is completely shut mm -hmm. down, correct? Panama may reopen September 4th, I believe. Yeah, so, and, so we have Argentina, Paraguay completely shut down. Um, we have Chile is open but it's only accepting uh, nationals or Chilean residents. So, you know, you're not giving much there. Ecuador is open, but with quarantine. So again, when you implement quarantine, it's almost like you're not opening your country because like it or not, unless you have a real necessity to go to that country, uh, you're not going to want to be in a place that you're gonna to have to be in a public facility for 14 days, locked down to see if you have COVID or not. Um, but then we mm -hmm. have Peru that opened domestically, has had to shut down some of, of its uh, uh, segments within the country because of the high number of COVID, but internationally, it's still closed. And with some of these countries, we're now beginning to hear that may be pushed 60 days. So we're not talking about September now. We're now looking into November. And that becomes huh. a huge challenge again for the industry. You know, now we're talking about seven, almost eight months where the industry is basically shut down. Well, I mean, I know it's, you can't, it's hard to generalize in such a large and diverse region, but um, are you talking 60 day extensions for all flights or international flights? What, well, how in, in the case down? of, you look at Argentina, it, it's right now our understanding again, and we're awaiting the, uh, the final um, um, response from the government. It's both domestic and international. In the case of Peru, it'll be uh, obviously international. Uh, but again, there's quite a lot of questions still uh, on the table. You know, if the number of cases continue to increase, what what actions will the the um, the the uh, country take or the government take? And again, we're, what we're trying to educate our government is uh, we we need to learn to coexist with this um, disease, uh, with the virus. There's no way around it unless. Uh, a vaccine is made available, and that's going to take several months. So for the time being, we have to learn to coexist. The industry has developed a series of protocols that are going to permit us to coexist in a responsible and safe manner. Now, unless we get airplanes back into the air, it is very difficult to restart the national economies of our country. So one thing may not kill us, but the other one will. And that's where we're... we're, right. we're really advocating to governments, we need to have the balance, the, the well-being of our citizens' health, but also restart our economies. And for the aviation industry, it's removing the restrictions that we have in place right now. Okay, well, I get, I get that, yes, you know, so when, when you have a situation like Argentina or even Panama, where all travel is, all air travel is, uh, you know, grounded, that makes sense. But there, IATA's taken a very sort of firm position against quarantines. And I think you mentioned Peru is requiring quarantines now. It's Ecuador. Ecuador's 
Ecuador, excuse me. Sorry. Ecuador is uh, required. What, what is the, the uh, sort of argument against the quarantine, using a 14-day quarantine for, for mitigating yeah, so, the virus? So for all practical purposes, you know, when a country announces we're opening the market, we want airlines to come back, but you implement a quarantine uh, measure, you know, most of these quarantines are very rigid measures. So uh, you're either having to quarantine at home or within a, a facility that is approved by, by the government. Now, again, unless you're going to that country because you have a need to be there, um, either family or business, you're not going to want to be there for, uh, in a country that's going to require you to be there for two weeks in quarantine before mm -hmm. you can go out and do your normal business. And we saw this in Europe where uh, the UK imposed quarantines for British citizens that w went to Spain for holidays. The bookings in Spain, in, particularly in the destination holidays, just collapse because people are, are not going to be willing to be locked up for two weeks. And that is the biggest fear that we are seeing. We, we polled uh, travelers not too long ago. And what we asked them, what's the biggest concern you have? Is it the, the virus itself or is it quarantine? And the majority of the folks were, it's a quarantine measure. That's what concerns them most, particularly that they're quarantined in most cases in not their home country. Uh, so that's yeah. a big challenge that we have, Madhu, that where we've really advocated to government, we have the right protocols. We need to abide by them. And within the protocols, which again are, are supported by ICAO, are supported by the World Health Organization, nowhere is there any mention to quarantine. So we can yeah. act responsibly, we can perform, but for the airline industry, it just doesn't win. And in the case of Ecuador, uh, when it restarted in June, we had a very strong first week. The loads were very full, and then they just went down. Because again, those who needed to come back came back within the first 10 days. But after that, the traffic loads have gone down and the demand because people just don't want to be in the quarantine situation. Huh. So uh, I know that uh, IATA has, uh, has advocated for uh, sort of health checks, health screenings, and contact tracing um, as part of a way to mitigate, to make air travel safer. I was kind of surprised to read something in, uh, um, in uh, that you published recently about uh, the mayor of Bogota uh, said that uh, the responsibility for contact tracing should fall on the airlines after, after a passenger arrives in Bogota. I, I don't think I've heard that elsewhere in the world. Is this, what, what is, what's yeah, going it, on here? It's been a, a real challenge. I, I will say that um, hopefully tomorrow we will see the uh, President of Colombia, President Duque, make a formal announcement and formalizing that air travel will restart in Colombia uh, as of September 1. And that would be fantastic mm -hmm. news. What has happened in Colombia, and, and we work very closely. Well, let's stop there because you actually, as we say in, in journalism, you buried the lead, lead a little bit. I mean, September 1st is much earlier than was anticipated. Well, right? the, the original so date in Colombia was actually September 1st. What we were concerned about okay. was the, the dates being pushed. And since we hadn't received notification from the central government in terms of uh, how they were um, preparing for that start, we were quite concerned as an industry, particularly in the case of Colombia, where the responsibility of reopening airports was left to the municipalities. That's something that we have not seen 
uh, in most places around the world, certainly not in Latin America, right. where the municipality, the, the, the mayor of that city basically says, you know, we're open, we're not. And if we are open, I'll tell you how many flights we are. And in the case of Colombia, it, it was a huge struggle, uh, struggle particularly in the uh, city of Bogota, which is the primary point of entry to the country. It is the largest hub. That's where the uh, main Colombian uh, carriers have most of their operations. And the mayor was very, very hesitant, one, to open. It was going to be open with a very limited uh, amount of flights, only to three cities within the country, and in which you had the airline was going to be responsible for contact tracing, calling the passengers on a daily basis to see what their health was. And then obviously, this was something that from our standpoint, we could just simply not uh, accept. And that's what we communicated to the mayor, that if this is a court operationally it's not viable and for the airlines it would be probably best that they just stay how it is until this this requirement would be eliminated because again the responsibility of the health is not under the airlines uh, purview it's under the ministry of health of that country so the airline is required to give a form to the passengers they fill it out either paper or on the web and it should be the health officials for that country that should be following up. It should not be the airline, because once the passenger leaves the, the aircraft, you know, we don't know what that passenger is going to be doing, you know, how they're going to interact, how responsible they're going to be. Responsibility on the airlines, we thought it, it was just not very responsible uh, from the mayor to do that and impose that type of requirement. Uh, the good news, that's not going to happen. Um, the central government and Ministry of Health and Transport, uh, again, communicating it. We had a very uh, good meeting with them over the weekend, and they're going to abide by the uh, uh, ICAO protocols. We're going to open slowly, which, again, uh, from our standpoint, understandable, considering where they're at with the uh, virus at this time. But from our, our point of view, Madhu, it's we just need to get back in the air. If 12% hmm. is what we can get at this moment, let's go with the 12%. It's much better than what we have now, which is zero. Right. Well, you know, I um, <laughs> this kind of makes me wish we were still talking about Bogota's airport and <laughs> capacity constraints. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, <laughs> and not about like actual airport. No, but, you know, Panama is an interesting case as well. I mean, that was sort of, you know, when you look at other um, uh, countries in the region, such as Brazil, Argentina, um, or even Chile that are challenged by terrain. The, these countries have large domestic markets. And, um, uh, you know, what What do you think the challenges for Panama, which essentially does not have a domestic market? I mean, how, how does that, uh, how do you think the, this sort of reopening, I mean, what, what is your, basically, I guess my question is, what is IATA's sort of advice to the Panamanian government about um, reopening? Yeah, it, it's a big, a big challenge for, for Panama. Uh, Panama has been, you know, our success story for so many years in yeah. the region. I mean, when you look at uh, what uh, the airport has done to Cumin, what Copa has been able to do, uh, I mean, they've been more successful probably even than their North American counterparts uh, on really connecting North and South America and not only to the primary markets, but the second, third type layer markets where uh, if you know you were to fly from New York or Miami, you probably have to do two or three jumps. And with Copa, mm -hmm. you're, you're basically with one hop and you're there. Uh, certainly a, a challenging period of time. Uh, the country uh, had closed its borders. 
within the country, you don't have a domestic market. You only have Panama and one other city. Uh, so basically, it's, it's nullified. But getting Copa and getting Tocumen back into, into, you know, into service is a challenge. One, because what you're facing locally, it's the national government, the Panamanian government saying, okay, you're good to go. But second, also, the other country closures, we're, yeah. we're just not permitting. So Panama has done something, I think, again, what they've been very good at, innovating. And we work very closely with the authorities, with the airlines there. And the Panamanian government now have authorized Tucumán to restart, but for transit. So you can origin in Panama, go anywhere, but you can't go into the country right now unless you're a Panamanian hmm. citizen. But Tucumán Airport can be used as a transit hub. So no. you can operate from, if you're in New York or in Canada and you want to go down to Latin America and, and whichever countries are open in Latin America, you can operate. And that's what COPA will do. So it's, it's not normal, but it is what we have available. So we certainly want to take advantage of it so we can try to you know, begin slowly to, to uh, increase capacity throughout and, and connectivity throughout the region. So it's, it's slow moving, but this is a very good first start uh, where you know, the airlines will be able to use uh, Tocumen in Panama as a transit hub to be able to move into other, uh, uh, other cities within the, the region. Hmm. That's uh, so. I wanted to sort of use that question about Tocumen and Panama to springboard into what sort of trends you're seeing in the region. I know, um, you know, Volaris on its uh, earnings call recently said that they're seeing quite a lot of um, interest or more demand for VFR, yeah. visiting friends and relatives traffic versus business, whereas you know Aeromexico uh, struggled and has. Uh, uh, um, is an administration now. So uh, where, is this the trend you're seeing repeated all over the region with uh, with countries such as Brazil or Argentina or Chile or that have large markets, internal markets? So we, we've just recently renewed, uh, updated our figures for this year. Uh, you know, the trend is international recovery to 2019 uh, levels. We're not going to see be before 2024. Uh, right. Domestic, we see 2023. Obviously, uh, VFR traffic, uh, visiting friends and relatives is going to come first. Intra-regional will follow then, and then international. Uh, for our region, that you know, has some complexity. Now, for uh, a large mar market like Brazil and Mexico, you know, they've done okay during this crisis because they're, they've been able to maintain a certain level of domestic connectivity, right. and that has helped. Um, in the case of Panama, obviously, you don't have that. Um, Chile, to a lesser extent, they've also maintained the domestic. So that has helped. Um, but it's going to be a challenge for the region. Uh, one, because, we're again, we're going to recover and come out of um, this crisis later than everyone else. The restart is already several months late. And we're going to restart very stagnant. Uh, where you see in Argentina is... 100% shut down. Uh, right. You have a Peru that has domestic openings, but is now restricted because of the, the virus. And then now you have a Colombia that will restart. So we won't have a balanced uh, uh, playing field for some time. Now, the other aspect here is the economic recovery. That's going to have a major um, play in terms of what the recovery looks for for our region. Uh, right. You know, there's major numbers of jobs that have been lost in our region. 
the economic situation in our region is not looking very good right now. Uh, so people are going to have less money to travel, uh, less investments. Um, you know, where we're seeing from an economic standpoint, there's less investments into the region. So that's going to be more of a challenge in terms of the recovery, particularly the business uh, traveler coming back to the market anytime soon. And then also what role governments do in try to promote their country and ensure that they have the right protocols in, in, in place, not only in aviation, but throughout the country, that they're able to, you know, safeguard the well-being of passengers that do come and visit uh, their country. So there are many, many questions still on the table, but a lot of it really stands on the government. This is the mm -hmm. first time that we've seen in a long time that government is going to have to step up. They're going to have to take a leadership role. And we certainly hope that as we come out of this crisis, we begin to work much more collaboratively with our government. Because it is going to be very competitive over the next couple of years to try and lower market uh, shares. You know, right now, our market share around the world is 5%. Uh, but, you know, Air New Zealand announced that they're pulling out of Buenos Aires. Emirates is not going back to Chile. Um, you know, airlines in our region are going to be much smaller. The international carriers are going to decide where do we fly to? You know, where does it mm -hmm. make economic sense? You know, are governments going to continue to overtax us? If they do, I'll put my airplane somewhere else. And this is somewhere, and this is part of the messaging that we're giving with government. We need to be much more strategic, much more aligned, and, and we have to be competitive. Uh, you were talking before about um, some of the construction, the uh, capacity limitations. One thing that we've said to government, uh, we cannot seize at this moment to delay infrastructure improvements in our region. We need to continue, even though the, the, the numbers have gone down, constructing a new terminal, a new runway takes several years, particularly in our re region, how bureaucratic it is to approve. So for Bogota, for Buenos Aires, for Sao Paulo, for Santiago, Mexico City, where there are major infrastructure projects taking place that needs to continue to take place. Now, that has always been a challenge in the region, right? I mean, the um the the not the failure to to uh invest in air infrastructure but the sort of lack of political will to invest in air infrastructure yeah these are the big infrastructure uh projects uh, as you know billions of dollars and and like good politicians particularly in our region it's all about who's going to cut the ribbon right you know uh, making the announcement is not very attractive as cutting the ribbon and that's a big challenge that we had in Mexico for many years. Uh, it's not that in Mexico City we, we had a capacity issue four years ago. Mexico City was in need of a new uh, airport for 18 years. It's right. been heavily <laughs> over capacity. In, in Peru, you know, it's an airport that was built for 10 million. And last year we had 23 million. So it's heavily overdue. But what happens is, you know, it, it's all about the vote. It's all about how I invest the money during my term. And in the case yeah. of Mexico, I have to say, you know, that that administration knew that they wouldn't be there, but there was a need. Unfortunately, that project went south, and now we're looking into a, a Mexico City tri-airport system. Um, yeah, well, Mexico City could be this. The, that airport situation could be the subject of an entire oh, podcast <laughs> or several, a series of podcasts because it's just uh it's just interesting, but it's interesting what you said about the cutting the ribbon. I mean, um, you're right. I mean, the, the, this is these are infrastructure projects that take sometimes decades to complete. 
or you know, or a decade to complete. And if you're not around to cut the ribbon, then why would you invest? Uh, but you know, to to that point as well, what you said about sort of economic populism, is there a sense you get, you know, that votes? It's easier to attract votes by doing something other than investing in an airport or in air infrastructure. Yeah, you know, do you know I, what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you know part of the problem that, and we've learned it, uh, and and speaking with many CEOs based in this region in terms of how we address uh, COVID and what we need to move forward. We as an industry have not done a very good job communicating how important the value of aviation is, particularly yeah. in our region. You look at Latin America, again, it's a small percentage of the global travel, 5%, 6%. But you look at how much connectivity has grown in our region in the last seven years. It's remarkable. It really is. Right now, you could be in any part of the region in Latin America, and within one stop in most cases, you're around the world. We yeah. didn't have that eight years ago. And, you know, the regional carriers, the Latin carriers have done a lot in investment in new airplanes, new service, better connectivity, more frequencies. Uh, you know, between Mexico City and, and Madrid, you, know, you have six wide bodies a day. You know, same thing with Bogota and Madrid. Uh, Miami to, to Sao Paulo, you have four, five wide bodies a, a day. You know, it has gr greatly increased the a very big world becoming much smaller because of what the industry is doing. And, I, and our governments are not taking advantage of that. We're not following, we're not following the, the successes that we've seen in other regions to really attract more travel and tourism. And moving forward, we have to do a better job in that, both for economic well-being, but also for, for, self, for, for the social well-being of uh, of the the uh, Latin American uh, citizens, there's a huge opportunity that we have, but again, we need to modernize our regulatory frameworks. The region needs to become much more cost competitive. We have to have better infrastructure, and we're moving towards that. Um, you know, we have some very good airports now. The problem that we've had is every time we open a brand new terminal, the moment that we open, that terminal is already saturated. That's right. what we have to do better as an industry with government. And this is why private-public um, collaboration is, is probably going to be the new type of phrase that we're going to use more in, in the region. It has to be much more effective. Because when you spend billions of dollars in building a terminal, and the moment you open it, that terminal is already saturated, there's been some poor planning there. You know, yeah. We need to plan for an airport that will be viable and a terminal for 20, 30 years. So that's what we haven't done very well. So it's a combination, infrastructure, cost, and then telling the story. You know, we need our, our citizens in the region to be proud of air travel, that air travel is viable, it is safe, it is economically uh, feasible. I will say one thing that is helping in our region is the ultra low cost. Right. That is really balancing the playing field now. And, you know, I'm not, I know IATA's policy is not to name names, so I won't either. But there are, there are examples throughout the region that uh, ultra low cost carriers that have sort of seized on this vacuum and um, started to tell the story that you do have the, you know, if you're, you do have an alternative to taking a bus. And it isn't, it isn't just for the, you know, the Chanel crowd mm -hmm. to, yeah. to fly. It's, it's a viable option. So, 
the messaging piece will be kind of uh, interesting to watch as we go forward and emerge from this crisis. Um, Emilio, just sorry. one point to that. You know, you look at Argentina. Uh, with mm -hmm. the past administration, when the ultra-low cost really took advantage, everyone benefited. Everyone. It benefited the Aerolinas Argentinas, which is a government run. It helped the private, let's call it traditional airlines like LATAM Argentina, and then the ultra-low mm -hmm. cost because it became more competitive. The fares became more balanced out, and there was a niche for everyone. And during that time, all three types of, of, of uh, airlines were really thriving in that Argentinian market. So when, you know, governments think, you know, um, or people say that you can't have the three types of levels of, of uh, airline business succeed. No, it, in our region, it actually is working. It's, it worked in Argentina. It's working in Chile and Peru, Brazil. We hope we'll have more in the future because it makes everyone pick up its game. And as the middle class uh, begins to grow, more people are going to want to travel. And you look at the prices now, they're, they're more competitive than the buses. But mm -hmm. people still take buses. And again, that goes back to the communication. That's a messaging That's problem. That's the messaging. That's critical. Because right now, you know, people will still get on a 19-hour bus where the plane is an hour and 45 minutes. The price is identical and the level of service and safety is much higher right well this is something i, I hope you and i can revisit uh, in a few months or whenever we're out of this crisis but right now uh <laughs> it's a different story in the airline industry especially in latin america so peter serda i wanted to thank you for joining us today um we we hope to have you back soon. For our listeners, we will be posting a replay of this on our website, airlineweekly.com, and the audio will be available by podcast uh, on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. As usual, if you have any questions for me, please drop me a line at mu at skiff.com. Peter, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the program.